God, I am absolutely petrified. <laughs> Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, will be found pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak. Because we've had this conversation a lot this week, God, there's not anything that I can say that's going to change anybody. It's not going to help. But God, you can. And Lord, I just give you the glory for everything that takes place. God, we worship you. And I pray that we'll be changed by your word tonight. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I knew this was coming um, a few weeks ago. Kenny told me this was going to happen. And, um, of course, the first thing I thought was, what am I going to wear? Because that's what you worry about when you're going to be in front of people. And I don't have shoes that are as cute as Kenny's shoes. I mean, his shoes Sunday morning, they were cute, y'all. I don't know if you could see them from where you were sitting, but they were off the chain. And so then after I was like, well, I'll just wear my shirt that says, come as you are. Because we mean that, by the way. That's not just a cute shirt. It's something we really mean. Um, after that, I thought, oh, God, please don't let me humiliate you with whatever I'm going to say. So here we are. Yay. Um, last week, Kenny started um, a series on All Aboard the Struggle Bus. And I was most certainly struggling. Um, when I got here last week, I don't know if you noticed, if you were in the room when all the screens went black and all the sound cut off, that was my fault because I just pushed the monitor back. Like I needed three more inches and I just kind of slid it back a little bit and everything went dark and I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly how it was supposed to look. So Kenny walked by and he was like, you on the struggle bus? And I was like, yes, and I don't know how to fix it. So we worked through that. I promise you, I'm not even kidding. God said, restart the computer. I restarted the computer and there it was all over again. So that was good. The struggle bus is where I feel like I live sometimes. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but that's like my life is right there on the front edge of that bus sometimes. Um, and there's a couple of different reasons why we find ourselves on the struggle bus. I mean, don't, let's don't kid ourselves here. Sometimes we're on the struggle bus because we're, have, we're suffering through the consequences of our own choices. That's just the fact of the matter. We make poor choices, so therefore there are consequences to reap we are on the struggle bus because of that. Now, there's also times when it is really persecution. We don't always, we don't usually experience persecution here like is really, truly, 100% still experienced all over the world. I didn't, I didn't find the real answer, but I had heard that 2015 was the bloodiest for Christianity in all of history. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but I know it certainly seems that way with what we see on the news, and it's just so prevalent because we have so much access to it, I guess. But sometimes we're on the struggle bus because we're being sifted like wheat. The Bible talks about that a lot. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. And that's why we're on the struggle bus. God has a purpose in it. God has a plan in it. And sometimes the purpose and the plan is to test and see if our faith is real. So... Um, I have a lot of notes, by the way. Like, he's a weirdo. I don't know anybody else who doesn't preach with any notes, except him and Keith, and you're both freaks and whatever. But, so I'm going to have to look down 
because my hands are still shaking. Did I say they started shaking this morning when I put my makeup on? So you should have seen my mascara. But they're still shaking. I'm gonna, I may drink water if I can not spill it everywhere, but we'll see how that goes too. Sometimes I think part of the reason why, this is my opinion, we struggle is because we have a skewed definition of what is good. We have a predetermined idea of what we think is good, what we think God ought to be giving us, what we think will make us happy. And if we don't get that, then it's bad. Anything opposite of what we think we should be getting, we determine is bad. And God's not like that. There are times when what we would determine is bad is for our own good. It is for the good. Anyway, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, um, the very first chapter in 2 Corinthians. And um, one thing that I think is really cool is that this story starts with Paul and Timothy. And Kenny told us a little bit about Timothy and how they got together on Sunday. So what happened is Paul takes what is commonly known as three missionary journeys in his lifetime after he becomes a Christian. And this letter is written during that second journey. It's just him leaving his hometown and going to a bunch of cities and spreading the gospel. So Paul, on one of these journeys, starts a church in Corinth. And he's there for about 18 months, and then he leaves and moves on to the next town to start another church. But he keeps up with this church in Corinth, the Corinthians. And so he writes them several letters over a period of time to try to encourage them, to try to correct them, to try to do away with some false teaching that had been taking place. And this second Corinthians that we have is actually the fourth letter that he wrote. But he's writing these to the churches um, just to, to be an encouragement and be a lot like, you know, if it's like here. This church has been here about, what, 16 months now? And so if somebody leaves, they're going to keep up with Simple Church. You want to know what's going on. You want to stay connected to people, things like that. So anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And it says, this letter is from Paul. I'm not going to read it from the screen. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. So you remember Sunday he told us about how Paul and Timothy, Paul went back to the, the, <laughs> back to the city and he picked up Timothy and he's beginning to disciple Timothy and taking him around. And this is about nine years after they first got together and got to working together. So it says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is, merciful. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. I think a lot of times the reason our suffering is so bitter is because we look for comfort in places that aren't going to comfort us. If God is the source of all comfort... All comfort, anything that you need, everything that you could want, if he is the source of that, if he is all comfort for you, then that means when you get home at night and you're tired and you just want to veg out and watch TV, that's not going to comfort you like Jesus would. And that's a little hard to explain and a little hard to understand, I guess, until you've been there. And it's a little hard to practice. It's a really hard to practice, as a matter of fact. But if God is the source of all comfort then those things, whatever they are, that we're looking for to make us feel better and to make the situation better and make things right is not going to work because he's the one that's the answer. 
So Paul goes on, he says, he, his, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we're weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives. Now, I'm not going to, but we could spend four months on just those verses. And I mean, I'm not kidding. I don't have anything to tell you that's going to be anything that matters. But if you would go home and you would take the word and you would read these verses and circle words that match and draw lines between things that connect, these verses will change your life. I'm not kidding. They really will. There are some highlights here we're going to hit about suffering. Suffering is awful, whatever it is. But we know that God is the source of all comfort. He just said it. We know that um, the more we struggle, the more we know Christ. We know that our struggles are for comfort and salvation of others. I don't know the whole story, but I've, you probably have seen, I've seen a little bit about Joey and Rory and the couple who's just been going through her cancer, and she just passed away. And I didn't know this until the other day. I, I read an article that said that her father actually came to salvation since she was diagnosed with cancer. And she said she would go through it all over again if it meant that her dad would get saved. And that, that's that verse. That's what it's talking about. That even when we're weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and your salvation. We can comfort others with the comfort that God gives us. We find strength to endure because we've seen others endure. How many of you know somebody who's been in a situation or lived through something and you've thought to yourself, God, I hope that never happens to me. But if it did, I've got this much hope that I'll survive it because I saw them survive it. They lived through it, and so I might be able to also. And that, I mean, if suffering was pointless, that would be unbearable. But at least there's a purpose in it. There's a great song um, by Shane and Shane called Though He Slay Me. And in one version of it, there's a little, there, John Piper's, I don't even know what to call it. He's just given this testimony really about suffering. And he wants to remind everybody that your suffering is not for nothing that whatever it is, it's meaningful. It means something. It isn't just because God's punishing you or he doesn't like you that day. It actually has a purpose. And in God's view, it may, it may be the best thing for you, if, especially if it's going to bring you to a closer relationship with him. But what if, what if we did begin to view all suffering like that? Because really deep down inside, I think, that when we are hurting or we are in pain or we aren't getting what we want, there's some side of us that wants to believe that God's not in control of that. Because if he is in control of that, then that means he can stop it. And to think in our minds that he wouldn't stop it and he would let us suffer is so contrary to what we want to believe about God in a way. We want to believe that we can just have whatever we say we're going to get. Or we can just do or be or go or whatever, whatever. But to think that in the terrible, awful times that God allowed it. He, he may have even purposed it for your good. 
it's, it's so contradictory to anything that the world would tell you. It's just beyond all of that. But if we see, what if we do see good as God sees good? It changes the perspective, certainly. Our opinion of good, what God's opinion is of good. I was thinking the other day, I was looking through Facebook, and I'm not, I am not, I am not saying that you should not pray for physical healing or physical things or what's, I'm, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is I was scrolling through Facebook and there were many, 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 many prayer requests for physical healing. And I couldn't help but think, what if we asked for prayer for spiritual healing as much as we did physical healing? Because I dare say that most of us in here, probably all of us in here, know somebody who spiritually is dying. And they really need Jesus to heal their spirit, to save their soul, a lot more than they need to be healed of anything. What if we were concerned more, and I'm not saying go home and put a list on Facebook of all the people you think are lost. I'm not encouraging that either, okay? I'm just saying, what if our perspective was... To really say, okay, God, what's most important to you? That's what's going to be most important to me. Even when our two perspectives are different. One of, hands down, there's a lot, I, there's a lot of scripture that I love. The part that's in, oh gosh, Leviticus that talks about oozing sores. I'm not so much in love with that part. But there's a lot of scripture that I love. And this, there's verses in Isaiah 53, and Kenny covered it not long ago. It says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, meaning Jesus, and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. How do you explain that it was the Lord's good plan to crush him? Except that that's how we get salvation. If that doesn't happen, we're hopeless. We're gone. That's it. We're done. But it, it changes, it, it certainly shifts the perspective on what God is letting and allowing in our lives. If our suffering is, is good because it purges the flesh, maybe. Maybe we become disattached to this world and more attached to Jesus. Maybe that's really the end goal. What if it's good because we see God more clearly and other people can see God more clearly through us? That it's really, I mean, truly too, if it was just about me, That'd be quite disappointing as well. But it wasn't. You think about Job. Job suffered greatly. He suffered physically and financially and with his family. He suffered greatly. And if you've read the book of Job, you have benefited from what he went through. His suffering has encouraged your faith thousands of years ago. And even Job, he said, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my eyes. He knew God before it ever started. But by the time it was all over, man, he felt like he had, I mean, he had stood face to face with him. He had a relationship with God that was, it was beyond anything he could have ever imagined before that. So, we get to, chap, get to verse 8, 1 Corinthians verse eight, chapter 1, verse 8. He said, we thank you all to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the terrible trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Part of this, I think, really is Paul sharing his struggles, just like he's talking about before, about sharing and comforting others. He's now going to share his struggle 
with this group of people at the church, which, by the way, that's also part of why we come in here. It's not just because the band's really cool, and they really are. Even my dad likes you guys. That's saying something. But it's not just to hear a good sermon, which we do. It's not just to come and say, hey, how are you? I'm fine. Good. How are you? Which, by, that's one of the biggest lies we tell every day. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you, too? Liars. I mean, for real. I mean, how many times is that really true? But we come in here to encourage one another, to learn from each other, to build from each other. And I think that's really what Paul is also trying to accomplish here. But he goes on, he says, so we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we could never live through it. But somebody taught us that the Lord would never give us more than we could bear. So we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We put on our big girl britches. We cowboyed up and told ourselves, you got this girl. We posted it on Instagram. We walked out the door ready to roar. And we felt better because all we needed was a little inspirational quote from Instagram. Thank you, Instagram. This is my favorite one. You going to cowboy up or you going to lay there and bleed? Mm -hmm. You got this, girl. Believe in yourself. You got this. God won't give you more than you can handle. There's not a scripture reference there because it's not in the Bible. I don't know if you do that. People say it a lot, by the way. They say it a lot, but it's not true. That's not what Scripture says. It's different than what Scripture says, really. Because Scripture says, he says, we were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. But I thought he was never going to give us more than we could bear. Well, that's not what he said. Paul said he was overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And I guess that's why, really, like I never feel all that much better after I read some of those things. It's like cute, and it's like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. And then I'm like, okay, back to reality. Because really, the only thing that's ever going to change your life is truth, even though they're cute. You were never, ever, 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 ever intended to bear that by yourself. That was not God's plan. Not even once. And I, I thought of, and you may be thinking about 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 13, where it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. You don't have to invent a way out. You don't have to look for a way out. He will give you a way out. He's still there in that too. It's not just more than you can bear. It's not that you have to cowboy up and you have to do all these. I think there are times when, yes, we've got to stand up. Paul stood up and walked right back into the city on Sunday, the story that Kenny told. But you weren't meant to do it alone. Jesus never expected you to do it by yourself. John Piper said, you'll not be tempted beyond what you are able to endure without God's help. With God's help. You know what I'm saying. He will never let us so stumble or fail that we don't recover. He doesn't let our sin lead us all the way to damnation. God will never give his people trials in which he will not sustain them and bring them to everlasting glory. John MacArthur has a much better sermon. We'll call his a sermon. 
on this than what I could ever share with you. But since I listened to it about 14 times, I'm going to share with you a little bit of it anyway. So if you Google John MacArthur, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, then it'll come up. And I really, really, really encourage you to listen to it. It's, um, it's actually titled Comfort and Trouble. And it said, he brings out some points. He said that we don't actually know what Paul was suffering from or what had just happened in these, just before these verses. We don't know what it was. He could have been deprived of food. He could have gone to prison. He could have been beaten. We, just, we really just don't know. We just know for sure that it was absolutely awful. Okay? Now, keep in mind that this is the same guy who on Sunday, Kenny taught us about how he was beaten to the point that they thought he was dead, and he got up and went back into the city. That was about nine years from when this verse was written. And in that time, I would only assume, and there's some, I mean, there's scripture to prove that he was also, I mean, he, persecution persisted. He didn't get a nine-year break. There was other persecution. There were other instances where he had to stand up for his faith. But whatever's going on at this moment is very likely one of the worst things that's ever happened to him. And so... It said that he had faced hard times before, and he was no stranger to bad things happening. He was no stranger to persecution. But this time, somehow, it brought him to a point of utter despair. So look at the rest of that. It says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In the New American Standard Bible, it says we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. It was so terrible that he thought he, he literally, this was it. This was the end. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't survive it. In verse 9, he said, in fact, we expected to die. The New American Standard says, so that we were despaired even of life. And the word despaired there in the Greek is a really interesting word. And I like Greek. I wish I'd taken Greek and Hebrew, except that probably would have butchered it and it turned into some foreign language that nobody ever understood. But despaired there is actually a word that we get the word passage from. And so here, basically, what Paul is saying is that there was no passage. There was no exit. There was no way out. He said, later on, Paul would say, you know, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. And that's not where he is at this moment. At this moment, whatever's going on, it is so absolutely bad that he feels like he's finished. Whether the work is finished or not, he's done for. This is it. And he really got to wonder, I would wonder if I were him, I suppose he wondered too, what in the world, what, would, what in the world could change those circumstances? Could anything change those circumstances? What could ever make it worth it to go through that? How could you ever survive that. And there's such a little blip in the next verse, in, in, the, end of chapter, in the end of verse 9, after we, he said we expected to die, he said, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. I thought about how I've got some really good friends in this room, friends who listen to all of my crap all of the time, who I expect them to fix my problems and make my life right in whatever way we think it should be right. But none of them can raise the dead. I mean, like, for real. Do you want to give it a try? I mean, I'll be impressed if you do. We'll be best friends if you can raise the dead. Like, 
they can't, my friends can't raise the dead. But Jesus, I mean, he rose the dead, other people. Then he just did it himself. He didn't ask anybody's permission. He didn't ask anybody if it was all right. He just came back. He just, he just is. He's like nothing else ever. We learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And that seems crazy because we've never seen it happen. It's impossible. It's not even possible to raise the dead unless you're Jesus, unless you're God. Then you can raise the dead. That's what you do. I, I will... I do think we all know there are times when you just have to find the grit, you stand up, you do what's right, you go on, you do some more. That's true. But God never asked you to do that by yourself. He never, he never, he really never did say, all right, now you're on your own. Now you've got to get up. Now you've got to take care of it. You've got to do it yourself. He always wants you to rely on him. He really always does. And it's not complicated. I got to thinking about it. When I was reading this the first time, I thought, okay, what does that mean? Rely on God. Super spiritual. Where's my checklist of things I have to do? Pull the handle and get the sevens and rely on God. Ding, there you go. I get what I want. I mean, but it's really not complicated. It really isn't. I don't mean to, I don't mean to be anything other than just honest. It really is just trusting that he is who he says he is. That he is going to take care of you. That he is going, he does have your best interest at heart. That he is going to meet your needs. That he is going to comfort you. And that he really did rise from the dead. He can raise the dead. We stopped relying on ourselves. I, I will never, ever, ever, for as long as we both shall live, ever tell you that the minute you decide to rely on God, that everything's going to get easy. Or everything's going to get fixed everything's going to get healed, everything's going to turn around. I don't know. I don't know if it will. I really don't. All I really know for sure is that he is the God of all comfort and that you will have more strength when you rely on him than when you don't. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. I thought about later on in, uh, yeah, later in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, he talks about the thorn that he had in the flesh. And he says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And I read in my study Bible, I think it was, it said human weakness provides the ideal opportunity for the display of divine power. How does God ever get to show you how wonderful he is unless you're willing to rely on him for everything? Philippians 4 10 through 15, it says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. And Paul's thanking Philippians, the Philippian people. Philippians, Philippian people? Is that even a real thing? Anyway, he's thanking that church in Philippi for their help and their generosity. And he's, this is years after these stories that we just talked about have taken place. And he says, now that I, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, 
whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's another verse that gets used out of context a lot. When we want to win football games or pass a test, you know, real important stuff like that. But do you think about the context of Philippians 4.13 in view of that? I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength because I rely on him because he is the God of all comfort. If I have plenty, if I don't have enough, either way, it's because I'm with Jesus. With Jesus, I'm, I got everything I need just with him. But it takes, an, it takes an eternal perspective to see things in that light. You've got to focus on what Jesus wants, what he calls good, what he, has, he is purposing in your life, more so than what you just want. In the end of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in him, and he will, res- he will continue to rescue us. He is our rescue. I need you, Jesus, come to my rescue. We just sang it a minute ago because Jesus planned it that way. He will save us. He has saved us. He will continue to. He really will. Like, I can't even, I'm doing a terrible job of somehow conveying to you how really, 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 what a big deal this is and how huge it is if in this world we live in, the American dream, where we get anything we want, we have food anytime we want it, we have gas anytime we want it, we can go anywhere we want, we can do anything we want, we say that we're persecuted because we're Christians, but we're really not. In this world where we live in, where we make everything good and perfect the way we want it, to the best of our ability, how different it is if you have a perspective that's viewing your life the way God views your life. If your plan A and God's plan A are not the same, and you say, you know what, scratch my plan, I'm going with yours. And I don't, I don't have an answer for everybody's suffering or why people are going through things or anything like that. All I know for certain, all I know for certain is that God loves you and he didn't mess up the plan for your life. So I don't really, I'm not a big, I hadn't done this a whole lot. I don't really know how to wrap these kind of things up. And I don't know what God wants you to respond to. I don't know what you need. I don't know, I don't know. But I know that God is the God of all comfort and he knows. He knows what you need. He knows that this made any difference to you whatsoever. And so just like we always do, we're going to take a minute. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. They're going to play a song. And you just get a few minutes to sit there and just, you and Jesus. And I just ask that you seriously let God, let God form your view of your life through his eyes, not just yours. So let me pray. They're going to come. Lord, I really don't even know what to say. I just know that you really are good even when it's not 
It doesn't look the way we think good ought to look. God, that you have a plan, Lord, that you love us and you want to comfort us. And whatever tomorrow holds, God, I pray that we love you more. I pray, God, that you'll protect us from the enemy, God, that the enemy won't be able to skew our vision, God. He won't be able to take our eyes off you. Well, that we won't begin to say, well, God must hate me or, or God doesn't love me or God somehow gypped me because this is the life I got. God, I pray that we see our lives through your eyes. God, I pray that we're changed by your word and that eventually we can say like Job did that once I knew you and once I, I had heard what you said but God, now I know who you are. Now I have seen you. I have seen your goodness. So God, I just pray in these moments that we just pour out our lives to you. God, that we rely on you God, that you meet us here. So God, be with us in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name.